I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business owners. Hello, humans. I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business. I talk with sales and HR experts, other small business owners, and anyone else that can provide you with information to clear your way to success. Uh, Today's topic is going to be when and how to actually get started. Uh, My guest today is Max Miller, Associate Professor, Director of Entrepreneurial Studies, and Director of Ignite Business Incubator at Washington and Jefferson College. Max graduated from the University of Pennsylvania in 1990 with a bachelor's in English. He went straight to the University of Pittsburgh, where he gathered a corporate law degree. Max spent the next 10 years as a corporate lawyer. In 2004, he received his MBA from Northwestern University. Max spent the next few years working with a major corporation in process improvement and implementation. Over the next several years, he moved through a few new organizations where he was the chief administrative officer, director of VIP experiences, executive vice president, and COO. In 2016, he joined the staff of Washington Jefferson College. Uh, Max has also started a few of his own businesses. Uh, He's been the uh, president and chief tasting officer for Raise Your Spirits for the last 17 years, where he helps organizations build lasting internal and external relationships using unique tasting experiences. Max leads the Ideas to Enterprise program at Ignite, where local small businesses join a five-week program that teaches business owners the fundamental skills for leading a successful business. Max, thanks for being a guest on Clearing the Way. Great to be here. Uh, anything anything to add to your intro? Anything that I got wrong there? No. Okay. Clearly I have professional ADD, right? All <laughs> yeah. over the place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were a few years there all over the place. Right. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but it looks, uh, I mean... You got, you're here now. So. There you go. Yeah. Um, okay, so the idea for today is to just kind of work through um, the, I've got an idea, and now what? Um, how do I determine whether or not this is something I should do as a business? Um, how do I prepare to start my business? And let's just kind of work through that process. Mm-hmm. So um, I've got, uh, and and we'll try to differentiate between whether something is a product or a service and how those things are different too. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, let's 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 just start. So, um, so I've got this idea. Okay, I've got a brilliant idea. I think it's brilliant. Um, what do? What's the? F- where do I get started? What should be the first thing that I do? I know um, I've got a ton of questions here mm-hmm. for business plans and, and all of these things, but. How do I know if this is even something that I should be pursuing or not? Mm-hmm. Research, research, research. <laughs> right. That was uh, one of my biggest learnings in, in the Heinz phase of my life was just around customer knowledge, customer knowledge and validation. And so just really starting to understand the market uh, with your idea. You know, if it is something that's a physical good, and let's say it's something that's a unique idea mm-hmm. that's out there, you really do want to check the landscape, you know, and see what's out there. So as far as, like, competitors would would be concerned or, um, yeah, like, what should I be looking for? A lot of things. We, we, um, I always encourage people to do what we call outside-in thinking, which okay. is figure out what's happening in the marketplace first. So your, your category that you're going into, if it's a product, start to understand what's going on with the category in general. So, for example, there's there's almost a trade association for everything on the planet. I don't care if you're basket weaving or you've got a high technology. There's usually some trade rag or something on the web where you can start okay. to 
get a sense of the issues that are floating around, um, products that are out there like yours. Uh, it's, it's a combination of primary and secondary research. Okay. Right. So what, what we're talking about now is secondary, which is find resources and learn as much as you can to be a student of the industry that you're going into. Okay. And is that different between if I'm, if it's a product versus a service or how? Uh, the how same. I, okay. Definitely the same there. Okay. That, that comes, that component of the differences comes into play later when you're figuring out your com- components of your expenses and the like. Okay. You know, with the product, you typically have to invest in making it before yeah. you get any revenue. Yeah. Right. So service is a little different, but yeah. as far as the research, for sure. Okay. So, so when I'm researching, what mm-hmm. should, um, what are some indicators that this maybe is a good idea or, and, or it, whatever's easier, whether, um, what this is a good idea or this isn't a good idea. What are some of those things I should be looking for? Sure. There's some signals. So one is, is, is the market that you're looking to go into, is it growing or shrinking? And, if, and regardless of which one it is, you need to understand why. Okay. Right. So if it's a, it's a, a trend or a shift that's converting into a trend and you see in all the data that you see in terms of your research is showing that it's a growing category, you can at least check the box on, okay, this space I'm going into, it's growing. Okay. Are there any indicators I should be looking for to know if if I'm too late? Because mm. I feel like there's a lot of those times where um, where people are, they have this idea now for this, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that is maybe unique, but also maybe not, that's the tide has already, like, it's already come through. You're, yeah. you're too late to the party. Are, what yeah. should I, is there anything to look for with that or? Uh, I, I would say if it's, if in terms of being too late, mm-hmm. you would see the product out there or okay. some, some competitive type of product. Okay. Uh, and that's fine too. Competition is okay. Yeah. You know, you know I mean, it's, it's a matter of the value that you're going to bring with your products. I mean, it, it always boils down, the, the reason research is important is because you got to understand how the customers are behaving. Right, like under, seeing that a category is growing, for example, is a signal of something. Right, certainly it, it's a signal that people are buying more of whatever it mm-hmm. is, but it's also a signal of some behavior that's happening at the customer level, right? That's driving that growth, and that's where you, you know knowing the customer is a lot of this ball game here to win. Okay. That that's a part of what the research is about. Okay, this actually this came up in well. As of today, it hasn't released, but it will be releasing tomorrow. Um, But we covered the knowing your Janus, um, but basically who your who your customer is, who are you actually selling to? Mm -hmm. Um, So for do you have that since that keeps coming up? I talked about it then, but do you have recommendations for how should I go about thinking about who my customer is? and how do I find them? How do I figure out where they're at? And then that's going to help to to guide us and, and f- you know, tell us, is this a good idea or not? But how should I be thinking about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of things should come out of the research in general. And, and these are things that when I say the research, just Googling online certainly as a starting point. Mm-hmm. But certainly when you look at the trade magazines or any of the business rags, you'll start to see uh, comments about either behavior or you know, are there some pain points in the industry that exist that certain products are filling? Or you might see that the customers are businesses, you know, so if it's a B2B mm-hmm. scenario, 
versus a B2C scenario, those are two different dynamics. Yeah. And so in terms of understanding the customer, you know, B2B scenarios are so relationship driven, you know, they tend to be larger dollar items, you know, higher volume. Yeah. <clears throat> um, in those instances, you can look at the customers that are out there and start to learn their behaviors. Okay. Right? Just to see if it's a component part of what they're buying, that's one thing. But if it's some uh, service, you know, that they're using mm-hmm. as an organization, then that's another thing. Okay. Uh, and those are generally sales-driven types of thinking. You have to think about the rationale for their purchases. The B2C is entirely different. And so when you start to look at the trade association, trade association publications, mm-hmm. you may see some trends, but that on the consumer side is where you really want to start to do as much primary as you can, which okay. is talking to people. Okay. Right. Talking to, to prospective customers, talking to, you know, friends, family, so forth to start with, to and try to start to hone in on that. When you say talking to them, what mm-hmm. should I be trying to figure out? What should I be trying to learn from them? few things. One, one is what's the driver of their purchase, right? What's the the need that they perceive is being filled? Okay. Because because value is a perception. Yeah. Right. And so you need to dig into the layers of why it is that they perceive that what you're offering is something that they need or would need. If, let's just say, because there's two scenarios. You have a competitive pro- competitors out there. Mm-hmm. So they already are buying some competitor or aware of it. The other scenario is it doesn't exist in the marketplace. Yeah. Right. And if it doesn't exist in the marketplace, you have to start to hone in on what is this perceived need that you think exists, but that you need to validate, right, by actually seeing what's out in the market or seeing what the needs are in the mm-hmm. market and seeing if what you're thinking of is actually going to meet that need. Okay. Okay. That all makes that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, I've done my research, mm-hmm. um, and I now know, or I think, that there is poten- there's there's a spot. There's mm-hmm. there's something. There's a, a need to fill. Um, okay, great, fantastic. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Like, what should be my next steps? I, I've done my research, or what should I be doing while I'm doing that? Is that just step one and don't move on from there until I've completed that and made a decision, or should I kind of be moving? Um, moving along before that, or, or how should I be thinking about yeah. what are the next steps and when should I start those? It depends on a few things, sort of, you know, the kind of person you are in terms of where, where you're at <laughs> yeah. in your life. Yeah. You know, that's something we haven't talked about yet, but I think the real first step is, is it the right time? Okay. Right, you know, in terms of are you in the right place personally, financially, emotionally, right? These are these yeah. kinds of things are... Um, the emotionally one, that's an interesting... I have... Yeah. I have all of what you just said, yeah. I had it later down yeah, yeah. in the process. Yeah. Which, if if we if that's actually step one, then let's cover that now. Yeah, um, I mean, it, I think that mindset is important. It's all the way through, so we can definitely talk yeah. about the dimensions of that going through it. But certainly, the time of you know, is it? Am I going to do this? And mm-hmm. if I'm going to do it, am I doing it by myself? And if I'm not doing it by myself, are, are there some, is there another partner or player? I mean, those are important things to think about. Yeah. Uh, just because these kinds of things, having been through various startup scenarios, they're they take up a lot of your mental energy. Yeah, and uh, you know you got to be in the right place to actually go for it. And so, if you're not, it can kind of cloud some of your research in the in respect that um, it's 
you have to be as objective as possible. Yes. All right. And so you have to let the facts dictate it, not the passion dictate yeah. it. And so the research, and in some ways, it, it is concurrent in the sense that, okay, I feel like I'm in the right place, but now I need to start validating that through the research to be objective about it. Is If this is a slow-growing or declining category that I'm going into, either I'm going to be a disruptor and create new demand that isn't there, mm-hmm. or I'm going to have to account for why the demand isn't there. And if it's a shrinking pie, you got to be ready to have a smaller slice of a smaller pie. Yeah. Okay, so so when I'm when I'm trying to determine whether or not I'm actually ready for this or not, mm-hmm. um, so we you mentioned the emotional thing. We'll get to that, but mm-hmm. um, are there are there times when I definitely should? I, I guess this is probably very very dependent on the person in the situation because I can imagine like when I started. I was kind of thrust into it mm-hmm. based on a layoff. Maybe not the best time to start, mm-hmm. but also maybe the perfect time to start. Yeah. So I think some of that is probably dependent on the person and your personality and mm-hmm. and your appetite for risk. But how should I how should I be thinking about that? Like, what are some of the maybe there aren't general things to be considering, but maybe there are. Are there any Are there anything to generally consider or um, maybe it's not indicators that I'm ready or not, but maybe it's just, hey, consider these things before you go into. You can make your determination on whether or not you're ready or not or you're willing to take that risk. But yeah. Are there any of those things that I should be thinking through? Uh, it does kind of depend on the situation. So you, if you take it one end of the spectrum, being thrust into it and, you know, having yeah. to find a living, you yeah. know, that's one source. But, you know, every time that I've come across that scenario – the person already had some idea in their yeah. mind, something they were passionate about, yeah. never really pursued it because they were, you know, doing their thing full time. Yeah. And when that dropped off, then sort of fate presents this opportunity to try yes, to I, go after it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I've seen that scenario a lot. And so in that case, it's really sort of a risk. It's the willingness to deal with ambiguity. <laughs> At yeah. that point. Yeah. Right. And, and if, you know, and of course it helps to have some financial backstop mm-hmm. in that regard or to be able to do it, which can, for some people can be an incentive to, yes, at least I can afford to, to try to assess yeah. this and not worry about paying my bills. Yeah. Right. And that, and that's a good place to be in. But conversely, if you're in a place where it's, you know, dire, <laughs> I've seen it work there too, yeah. but it's, a, there's a lot more stress in the life and you yeah. might be better off finding another full-time job before you yeah. go for it. Well, and I imagine in those cases it's more – it's going to be less – maybe not. I would imagine in those cases you're going to have a lot more – like the the desperateness kind of can erode the structure. So mm-hmm. it's kind of just – eventually you're going to have to piece it all back together right. and like reform this thing to make mm-hmm. it work or sustainable long-term. But mm-hmm. – um, but that process may even be completely different than, or, or if you're in that in that phase, you might be a little bit different than what we're kind of talking about here, where we're planning this thing out and we've got time to work with. Or yeah, um, yeah. So, I, so I would say you're thinking about this at the macro level. Your support structure around you is probably the broadest way to think about it. Okay. You know, is that certainly you have yourself to depend upon, and you're going to be your biggest advocate. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know, regardless of where you're at in this spectrum of life, whether it's job loss or 
quit your job to do it. Yeah. E- either way, you have to have, you know, sort of a network around you. And it might not be that big at the beginning, uh, but this is one of those places where the research also helps in that regard. <clears throat> because I, I can recall, for example, when I was thinking about spirits business, um, going to tons of trade shows, uh, just trying to figure out who are the players. And this this is a market research tactic, yeah. right? A primary research to yeah. go out, see every, if you just think about the full supply chain of your industry, because that's really what I was looking at, is yeah. to see who does what. And lo and behold, people that I met there here 20 years later, you know, are people that I know. Yeah. But you start to say some things at these places. You start to hear some things, first of all. And then when you hear them, they either validate or show you that, well, maybe I need to rethink what I'm thinking about. Even though you haven't told them your Mm -hmm. idea, per se, you're you're just sort of listening to their challenges. And, you know, why are you even at this place? You know, (laughs) you're selling uh, stirrers to the restaurant industry. Why why are you coming here? Yeah. which is different from the brands themselves and the role that serving samples plays at those kind of play. You just start to piece these mm-hmm. things together. And if you're um, focused, you know, and this is where the mindset comes in, depending on the type of person, you can learn a lot just from listening. Yeah. And that part of it, when you start to hear some key words come out of their mouths, it starts to spark something in your own mind. Yeah. That, oh, you know, I think I am onto something here. Yeah. Right? Or I was, wasn't was quite thinking that way about how they think. Right? Now that I know how they think, I can start to, they meaning potential customers. Yeah, yeah. Then, then you can start to shape your idea. Okay. Um, okay, so this is maybe a little sidestep <clears throat> here, but in this market, when we're doing this research, um, let's say... I'm a restaurant or something like that where it it feels like the research for that's probably a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, how should how do those types of uh, businesses how does the the research phase for those change? Gotcha. So let's let's take two examples on that point. Let's take the restaurant on one hand, mm-hmm. and let's take the other on the other hand. It's um, component part of something. <laughs> Right, that just makes whatever it goes into more yeah. efficient. Yeah. Right? Kind of two entirely different things. Yeah. Restaurant industry in general, it's mature. Everybody knows what a restaurant is. <laughs> yeah, you know, right? Yeah, how yeah. it works. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows the margins are, are are paper thin. Everybody knows, you know, employee costs are, you know, a big part of that. Yeah. And so having something unique that's on trend is gonna gonna drive volume to your place, you know, whether it's a pizza shop or a high-end restaurant. Um, there's lots of data out there about that. It's it's more around, you know, location and your ability to drive loyalty or at least recurring purchases. Yeah. Right from somewhere, and you start to that that's a place where culinary and eating trends around what's happening with consumers is is important to know. Okay. Right, and so in addition to your location, you know, what's the foot traffic? Am I in the right place? And yeah. are there other restaurants around me that are similar in competition, but, how, you know, is the area growing or shrinking? Right? There's all those dynamics that, you know, in terms of research, a lot of that can be done primary, especially, you know, entrepreneurs are, like to talk to one another. So, mm-hmm. if you, especially restaurants, you can go to talk to other restaurant owners, especially if you're not in the same genre of food. Yeah. They're, they're going to talk to you, and you can sort of get a sense, what's happening on this block? Yeah. You know, what kind of customers? What did you do? You know, you have to go through these things and kind of learn a lot, primary. Secondary, tons of information about the growth 
or declined of okay. different food categories. So I think there's a, a rich amount of data there. Okay. On the other hand, with the component part, and let's say it's specialized and niche, this is where it's, you know, it, it can be tough. I mean, a lot of times that I've seen these kinds of ideas, it's from someone who was in the industry. And they discovered from their years, you know, what? why are we using this? If yeah. somebody would just, yeah. right? Yeah. If somebody would just, then they're like, oh, maybe I should do that, yeah. right? And then they sort of have an understanding of where that component part fits. So they kind of have some research already. The person who has no information, it's a little harder. This yeah. is where this is where the trade association piece comes in, trying to find out, you know, who the buyers are of that component part, how they make their decisions, where you're even going to get the materials from, you know, for this part. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of other factors in that scenario that you need to shore up to really understand the the size of the opportunity. Okay, and. In this in this first research phase, should I be should I be considering costs of anything yet, or is that kind of later on after we've determined that this is a good idea? Or I, I imagine that should be you can't really determine if it's a good idea if you don't know what the costs are. So um, uh, the costs usually are coming later. I mean, it's good to uh, to be accumulating yeah this in general, but but before you go down the path because see. Costs are part of a larger equation. You know, you, you got to look at both the cost and the revenues together yeah. to really understand if it's if it's valid. Yeah. But before even getting to that, just really digging into the need in the market. Okay. Like, what is that need? And then because see, the costs are going to vary depending on how you decide to go to market. Yeah. Right. Depending yep. on the material. For our one example about the component part. Certain types of materials sourced from somewhere. How many suppliers are there? I mean, there's a yeah. lot of different things going on. Yeah. On the restaurant side, you know, generally speaking, front of house, back of house, you know what those are. Yeah. What your POS. Well, there's also like, oh, well, maybe you could, maybe this is a better food truck idea. Maybe this is a delivery service maybe idea. Maybe it's a pop up. Uh -huh. Maybe I'm making it at a commercial kitchen and shipping it. You know, there's mm -hmm. yeah, there's there's a few different business okay. models. Yeah. Right. So in terms of the sequence, uh, yeah, it's a research. And then really dig into, all right, what's the go-to-market strategy? How would I do this? Yeah. And once you figure out all the activities that you think you need to do, you got to assign some cost to them. Yeah. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> I have um, – I've done my research now. Mm -hmm. We've, we've kind of determined what we're looking at for yep. both uh, – for a few, different, a few different types of businesses. businesses. Um, okay. So now, um, do I? What do I need to do? Should I? Should I now be looking at those costs? Should I now be coming up with a business plan or figuring out how I would actually make this thing work? What What do I need to do next? Yeah, um, and and maybe we might be potentially oversimplifying mm -hmm. because it's probably not a linear it's thing. It's not linear. No, um, mm -hmm. but these are all steps along the process that that you should be kind of working your way through. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say it's definitely not linear, yeah. but, but I would say it's found the research is foundational in that yeah. regard. So that is whether it's a pyramid base of our, I tend to think of these things as a cube, you know, okay. so they all have different dimensions. Each of these sections we're talking about is one side of a what six sided okay. cube. 
and you've got to look at them that way. So, you know, yes, you're looking at research first, but you spin it, and now you're looking at okay. customer dynamics, and yeah. now you're looking at operations, and now you're looking at HR, right? you got to look yeah. at all those things. So I completely agree it's not linear, but foundational is learning your category, Yeah. right? So it's because that's eventually, when you're, if you've got to raise money for this, you got to be able to contextualize it yeah. for even if it's, you know, brother, sister, you know, whomever, and they're going to invest. The contextualization part is the market research. Mm-hmm. And so you're able to tell them, yeah, I'm not, you know, just pulling this out of a hat. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I've done the research. It's there. I've talked to people. There seems to be a need. People, or if there's com- competition out there, they are struggling with the way that the competition is delivering the good or service and the way that you're going to do it is a little bit different, right? So you start to build out this differentiation piece that makes it worth going forward. Yeah. But you're constantly, it's an evolution, Yeah. right? And the more you learn, the more you may evolve the idea. Uh, but but putting it on paper to your question is important. Okay. Uh, even, for your, even if you're not going to raise money from someone externally, it's a way of getting things down and starting to put some uh, path you know, on paper to kind of do this. So the, so the key next component of this is, yeah, you have this idea, but what really is the product? Yeah. <laughs> if it's a physical good, then you have to, okay, I need to design it. You know, the component part, for example, that's one of those scenarios where you can't have somebody really assess it unless you have yeah. a prototype, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And so you got to figure out how to build the prototype, right? And, and then be able to shop it around to the, you know, different people. Restaurants different. Like you're not you know going to just open and cross your fingers. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that, I mean, some people do it, but yeah. you really don't want to do it that way. You yeah. want to really be methodical about how what am I going to do to draw people to the restaurant, right, or to whatever the service is, yeah. right? How am I gonna what's what is the customer acquisition strategy essentially? Okay. So when people talk about business models, there's there's all kind of different business models, but fu- fundamentally, if you're going to be selling to consumers, that's direct to consumer and you got to understand what what it is you're going to offer them how you're going to offer it to them how often they're going to come in and do this right start, start to build some legs around acquiring every customer okay and what it is that you have to actually do okay and i imagine that's a it's that comes back to the knowing who that customer you have to know who that customer is to be able to are. do to know any of that yeah um there is this construct called the empathy empathy mapping, okay, which is knowing how your prospective customer and or consumer they, how they see, hear, think, and feel. What's around them? What are they hearing from their peers? What's what do they want? And think what's impacting their lives? Right. So, putting yourself in the in their shoes, okay, to understand what's going through their mind, and at the same time understanding the way that they are used to purchasing whatever it is you're selling. Right, some things are eat restaurants easy because people are humans are trained and yeah. programmed to go to places or order online and have. I mean, everybody knows yeah. that's the behavior. Where, but if it's something that is new and unique, you have to shape people's behavior. That adds another layer to it, and mm-hmm. the only way you can really help to shape that is to know that person's um, mindset. Sort of how if, if they were about to make a purchase decision. Where, where would they do? Where would they go? Yeah, you know. And so th- this was a, we used to do a lot of this in ketchup when I was in my ketchup days, just around, you know, placement on shelves, size of packaging, 
different versions of flavors, right? These are all reactions to learning about consumer behavior, right? And so once you understand their behavior, you start to be able to shape the product because the product, a lot of time people get hung up on the marketing piece as advertising when actually the biggest part is the product itself. And the product is a direct result of the learning because of what you've learned you're creating this product, either to compete with something out there or to create something entirely new because you've learned that there's this need that's not being filled. So that's why you create the product. But either way, you got to have the or service because we're talking both. But either way, you got to know what that is. Then you can start thinking about promoting the product, how much you're going to price it for. Actually, really, how much you're going to price it for. So how much is it going to cost you to create this product or service? And once you've got the product and the place and then the, the, I'm sorry, the product and the price, then, of course, you have the distribution methods, how you're going to distribute it. And once you have those three things, then you can start thinking about talking about it, right, in terms of promoting it. Okay. A lot of people start with the, oh, I'm just going to promote this thing. Yeah. you got to start with offering the right service. Yeah. Or you can promote all you want, and it's not going to, it's not going to move the needle. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, in terms of sequencing, just to your point is about sort of what next. That's really a big what next is you know customer validation, but product, product development or service to know that here's the product, and then here's how I plan on getting it to market. Could be selling it over a counter, mm-hmm. or it could be selling it online. Could be setting up a, a booth at some of these conventions and trying to get over. I mean, there's all kinds of ways. How should, since we're, we'll stay on that product, mm-hmm. um, when, are there are there any instances or anything that I should be looking for to know if this is something that um, is maybe worth doing in person like a like a do i need a brick and mortar how mm-hmm. uh, is this something that can be just done online and and maybe maybe it can be done both but it's not good it's maybe not best to do brick and mortar how should i be because i mean now there's so many things that you can just do online but yeah. sometimes brick and mortar is still good so maybe not super important for the the steps that we're at right now but um but I still think important in terms of figuring out how in the world we're going to distribute this product. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely valid to talk about now in terms of that's a part of the go-to-market strategy. Mm-hmm. And so if it is a product that people are used to getting online and it's um, not something that they feel compelled to have some sort of tangible touch sensory element to it, yeah. then, yeah, that works. I mean, there was a time when nobody bought shoes online. You know, I mean, that yeah. time existed, yeah. right? And clearly that's ubiquitous now to be able to buy them online because we have a, a confidence that what we buy, for the most part, is what we saw. Yeah, I still, I'm still skeptical. Close it all online. Yeah. Unless I've purchased from that brand before. Yeah. Um, and I know how things are going to fit. It's like, that's still something that. Yeah, and there's millions others like others like that. But there's also hundreds of millions that are fine with it now. You know, yeah. Uh, And and so, but because that scenario exists, you know that in terms of your product, if it's something that's already out there, those competitors are selling online, then this is where the consumer behavior part comes in. Yeah. Uh, But if it's if there are some layers of it that have a sensory experience element to it, like a restaurant or you know. 
other services that lend themselves to someone seeing or a person or mm-hmm. doing something tangible, then you might think about a brick and mortar, even if it's a place to um, just engage a person around the experience. And, yeah. and maybe they could still buy online. I, I remember reading, this probably a few years back uh, now, Samsung investing in locations that were all sensory. You couldn't even buy anything. So if hmm. you wanted to just see the clarity of the screens, they've got them up, use the devices. Huh. I think it was in New York City. Uh, but it was and it was pushing the edge then, but I don't think it's so crazy now yeah. in terms of people being able to exist in a hybrid kind of scenario where they can see and touch and feel yeah. something. Well, I think Tesla operates. Yeah, similar. Yeah. Tesla's yeah. doing some. You can yeah. definitely order your own online, but you can go do your drives there for sure in the showrooms. Yeah. Uh, they were in malls and things. So, yeah, yeah. it's a little similar to yeah. that. So all that to say is that when you're looking at both, uh, as a person with the idea, your business model relies upon which of those channels you're going to go for. Mm-hmm. The online scenario, once you start going that direction, requires that you really understand how to push traffic, you know, to yeah. your site, yeah. which is a whole other dynamic. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's just the virtual version of how you're going to yeah. attract people to your brick and mortar. The thought process is the same. It's just two different distribution channels. Yeah. And they both bring with them different challenges and that's what you know the, the the new business idea person has to think through yeah okay okay um <clears throat> all right so so we are um let's get to we're thinking through we're, we're at a point where we're we're looking at numbers mm-hmm. um what types of things should I actually be looking at? Obviously, there's if I'm selling a product, um, I've got to figure out how much that's actually going to cost. But what yes. what else should go into what numbers should I be looking at, and how should I be how should I be treating these things? How should I be coming up with? Um, obviously, pricing is going to be different depending on mm-hmm. a ton of things. But what are some of the things that I should be thinking about for for these numbers? I'm, I'm compiling all these things. Yeah, what am I looking for? Yeah, a couple buckets of, of things here. One, one is to just your revenues and expenses. I mean, the model is pretty clear in terms yeah. of building out your P and L. Yeah, understanding what your revenues could be and what your expenses will be. So you're starting. If it's a product, then you're certainly going to have some expenses to get your inventory, mm-hmm. right? So that's a the, the second you start delving into that area, you start to think about well, cash on hand to actually. Make this yeah. before I can get cash in to pay for it, right? So there is that dynamic that yeah. all product companies have to deal with, and that's where you know if you're a startup with a new, you either have personal savings, family loan, mm-hmm. bank loan, whatever it is, and we could talk about those. But fundamentally, you got to have the cash to pay for it. Yeah. But from a PL perspective, in terms of mapping out the opportunity, it's here's all my expenses. Here's and, and your expense mix. So certainly the cost of making the good is one big bucket of expenses, but then all of your marketing, licensing, permitting, trademark, legal fee, you know, everything yeah. that's going into that. Well, in okay, work. so again, this may be dependent on the businesses, but what are some of those, what should, what will most people have outside of their costs they're like oh. do i need to have mm-hmm. legal do i need to have 
um, you know, should I, should I be accounting for an accountant or what, mm-hmm. like, what are, what are some of those things that I m- most should be including in that, in that stack of other, yeah. uh, other expenses when I'm starting? Outside of cost of goods. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Per- people, for sure. Yeah. That usually tends to be the biggest expense yeah. if it's not just you, especially for a restaurant, you know, lots yeah. of people. But yeah. if it's even production, you know, if it's a that component part, you're probably having someone else manufacture it for you. And so just kind of getting an understanding of what's going there, that might just end up in your cost of goods yeah. or it might end up being in some separate SG&A item. But you got to understand that. But certainly if it's your people – Understand that. Yeah. Even yourself, you yeah, know, what, yeah. what you're going to pay yeah. yourself, if anything. Yeah. Um, you know, the marketing component, certainly, and this is the, you know, website basics and maintenance of the site, creation of your logos, right? Those, those are definitely buckets that people usually have yeah. in the beginning. Uh, if it's any kind of regulated, which most spaces are, you know, any kind of permitting, filings, your your actual business formation. We haven't talked about that, but yeah. you know, if you're going to have a company, yeah, uh, you, you probably you're going to have to have. You're definitely going to have an expense yeah, to, yeah. to form your um, LLC, corporation, S corp, whatever you're going to do. Yeah, uh, you're going to have, um, you know, other GNA expenses, supplies. You know, the the this pro what we're talking about is a financial pro forma, right? Which is a predictive financial document, right? So if you have a brand new idea it's brand new so you have yeah. no historic sales right <laughs> yeah. so so your pro forma is going to show all right this is all our, my startup expenses and here's the mix of these expenses and i'm going to anticipate that these expenses some of them are going to be either one time mm-hmm. and if they're not one time what's the recurring nature of them website class example pay somebody for the site yeah maintenance you yeah. know for the um uh the service you know of them maintaining the site for yeah. you which is way less than you know the site itself. Yeah. Um, conversely, when you start thinking about your go-to-market strategy, and let's just take the website scenario, how much, if any, are you going to invest in social media? Are you going to pay for paid advertising, boosting, right? There are some activities. See, see the pro forma is a, is a numeric version of what you've already pulled together as your go-to-market strategy. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so... When a funder or even your own, when you're looking at your own finances, you're saying, I'm expecting that these expenditures are going to drive revenue. That's the whole goal here. Yeah. You know, paying for the permit and licensing, okay, that's done, right? You pay for the website, done, unless it's e-commerce, in which case the website is critical, yeah. right? Yeah. Because that's going to be your distribution platform. Yeah. Uh, but as you look, and, and many pro formas look out five years when it comes to looking at, all right, how am I going to grow from year one to year two? You got to do something. I mean, some of it's going to be organic, <laughs> right? So you're going to be lucky enough to hope, you know, hopefully it's the perfect idea and you're going to get some organic demand. Yeah. The more realistic scenario is you're going to get some organic demand in year one, but that's going to take you to your first plateau, which is how am I going to get from this plateau to the next one? I may have to, this is where your marketing activities come in. Right in the in the restaurant scenario, because this is super simple. It's let's just take a pizza shop. You know, you're forever seeing the flyers go out yeah. for these pizza shops, and because they, they work. Yeah. Right. Somebody sees it, and it's a transactional, price-driven kind of decision. Oh, great deal on the slice! Boom! If they run this promotion, they would expect to see X amount of revenue. Right. We used to see this in ketchup all the time. We would put 
you know, uh, displays of the ketchup in the aisle or on the end caps, mm-hmm. you can just bank on an increase, <laughs> right? Because the because of the way people shop. Yeah. And even if they're not thinking about the ketchup right then, if you put it in the right place by the buns or hang it on a hanger by the French fries, you're going to get some incremental sales. And you factor that into your numbers because you're running that promotion. It's no different, you know, with a small business in terms of here's an act- an action activity I'm going to take. I'm expecting this activity to translate into sales. A lot, lot of our, uh, some of our clients at um, our members at the incubator, mm-hmm. you know, go to these farmer mark farmers markets, and they sell everything. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so yeah, you could easily. It's very clear. Do the do if you do one farmers market and sell a hundred units. If you do two market, you know, farmers yeah. markets, you should sell two hundred units. Yeah. It's pretty clear. Yeah. Right. And and you can build that into your fin- financials. A place where people, I don't know that people get hung up, but I don't know that people really embrace the notion of there is no expenditure that should just go out into the ether, right? It's an expenditure that ought to drive the growth or the value proposition for your business in some way, right? And and that's when you're pulling together these numbers. It's hard to, these are educated guesses on how your business is going to grow. Nobody knows the future. Yeah. But you know, especially once if you do been, enough research, you, you can do enough research exactly. You can that that educated guess, the like the margin of error becomes way way smaller. That's exactly um, right, and that's why it's done do first. Yeah. yeah, and that's why yeah. you do it first to yeah. say, you know, I'm predicting five percent sales when the coal category is only growing at two percent. That's highly yeah. unlikely, yeah. highly unlikely, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so you kind of have to, yeah, level set yeah. based on your research. Okay, um, okay. So, okay, um, so we've we've got some numbers down now. Um, we we know um, what my costs are going to be. We know how much I can finally pay myself. We know all these things. Um, we've got this pro forma done, uh, and that is something that definitely should be done. Yes. I'm, okay. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. For two reasons. One. One is when when going back to this notion of. Are you in the right place in terms of your own personal mindset? Seeing the, the size of the opportunity can help you in a couple of ways. One is if it looks like it's the right size pie, it gives you incentive to go forward. So that's good. Yeah. The other thing is it may turn out that this is not the best financial idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's better to know really early that it's not going to be financially viable than to find out later, yeah. right? To overfinance it either with personal money or otherwise. Yeah. So that that's where the performer really does help. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm just trying to like how how do how do we simplify this in a way that doesn't feel completely overwhelming? Because yeah. we've got all this research that has to be done. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I, I mm-hmm. I'm some guy that's trying to trying to sell some donuts. Yeah. Or um, whatever it is. How, I mean, I guess the thing is you're starting a business. Yeah. It, it's, there's going to be a lot that has to be done. Yes. And you don't have, I guess technically, you don't have to do any of these things. Mm-hmm. But um, the more work you can do early uh, before you get started, the easier things are going to be and the less curveballs you're going you're gonna to see later on right. because you have an idea. Now, I mean, if, if you don't like to plan, I guess you don't have to do any. Just start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just start and Good. figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
if that's the case, you're probably not listening to this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're, I mean, there's, there's just going to be, there's a lot that has to be done. Yeah. Um, or should be done to make your, your future self uh, a little bit better prepared and make, make things just a little bit easier in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, there's not. Uh, and I would say, too, on that simplification point, and this goes back to just your own personal mindset, sort of where you're at. Yeah. If it's a lifestyle business, right? So it's, I'm starting this. I just want it to be enough to support me, support my family, yeah. pay the mortgage, do whatever, right? That's one mindset, which is different from, I need, I'm going to scale this, you know, 10x. Yeah. And either blow out the licensing. If it's to take that component part situation, that's a scenario where you maybe you license it and you license it to the whole industry. I mean, it could be massive revenue and it could be someone waiting in the wings to, yeah. to have an exit. Yeah. So I guess that is, that's an important piece to yeah. consider while you're testing or figuring out whether or not this is even worth doing. It's what are yeah. your goals for this? Correct. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, if I, if I'm just trying to be my own boss and, mm-hmm. you know, work the hours that I want and not, not be super, well, you're going to be stressed. That's, you're not going to get rid of that, but mm-hmm. you know, just kind of, like you said, if it's, this is a lifestyle thing, I don't want it to be massive. Um, maybe you stumble into that, but, mm-hmm. um, but that is an important piece to consider at, at the beginning. For sure. Um, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so we've got these numbers, um, and where are we at in this? Um, okay. All right. So, so I've done this pro forma. I, mm-hmm. I've sucked it up and said, I don't want to do this, but Max says I should, mm-hmm. and this is going to help me in the future. So I've got that. Everything looks good. Mm-hmm. Everything looks like I can actually make this work. Mm-hmm. I can pay myself. I can pay my bills. I can do all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, where do I go from here? What am I? Am I ready to actually? Um, I guess if I, if it's a product, I need to make sure I can actually execute on this. Correct. Um, if this is a uh, a restaurant or something like that, I, I'm probably looking at spaces now, making sure maybe that's. A, I should have an idea of, of the spaces beforehand, but mm-hmm. uh, probably don't have any spaces acquired. But maybe mm-hmm. this is the time I'm looking for financing. What, what's yep. where are we at now? Yeah, all those things. Okay. I mean, if um, yeah, on the restaurant side, if it's something like that, or any kind of service business that has a brick and mortar component to it, you really start to look at all right, what's the physical location? Where is it going to be? Um, start to price that out. You know, is the I, I assume the lease rate was going to be X. Mm-hmm. Is it X or is it X minus one or X plus one? You know, some factor. Yeah. Right. And uh, that's where doing it is just going to, you know, validate your pro forma. Uh, and you start to pull together the components. And that, that restaurants are tough because you really do have to make the investment yeah. first. Yeah. And then, you know, keep your fingers crossed. Um, the Or you could have, you know, limits. Maybe you try pop-up first, mm-hmm. right? Cater for, I mean, maybe you ease into it. Yeah. Uh, I think you mentioned this earlier, maybe, you know, do some direct sales, you know, do some things at your mm-hmm. community group, church, whatever, start to start to hone in on, okay, yeah, people like, really like this recipe, I got some feedback, yeah. I'm going to hone it, you know, do a lot of things there before you actually go into the place. That's an option. Yeah. Uh, but if you have the, if you really feel confident about the 
projections, and I've seen plenty of people go ahead and get the building and yeah. buy it or lease it and move, you know, and just yeah. start doing it. So that that's one approach. Uh, but easing the there is this concept called minimum viable product, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, you want to get out there for the least amount of expense. You want to get something out into the market to validate all of your assumptions. Yeah. In the, in the product scenario, it's a little different, of course, because you can get the prototype close to where you want it, start, you know, pushing it and selling it, going to the trade shows, doing yeah. whatever, talking to people in the industry, starting to validate if this is right. And you just got to get that one person to actually put it in use. Yeah. And once it's in use, that's your true test case, right? That they're in, ideally you get a multiple, multiple people putting in use, but let's just say it's one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just to start with. And you learn as much as you can from that. <clears throat> the other scenario with the restaurant is maybe you ease into it, right? You're you're only going to do three days a week <clears throat> or if, you, if you're going to do one or you're only going to do one night a week or so, yeah. something just to try to see what's going on, if you can afford to do that. Uh, but this is, I think you mentioned earlier, the food trucks, the pop-ups, you know, mm-hmm. those scenarios and opportunities are there in the food business for you to test out and validate your hypothesis, which is, I believe I have these certain types of foods that I can sell at this price point and people are going to fit it into their culinary lives in this way. Yeah. Okay. Um, how does this change for services? Yeah. Because we, there's, you know, we, we've kind of, we've covered a lot of the, um, I'm actually, I've got something physical to deliver. Mm-hmm. But on the service side, I mean, my expense, we're kind of taking a couple steps back here, but I just realized we've been focusing on that side. Mm-hmm. So so let's take a couple steps, <coughs> steps back. Um, so we've got a service. Mm-hmm. How do, uh, I, my expenses shouldn't be quite as high, potentially, mm, most mm-hmm. likely, mm-hmm. most likely not as high. Um, but how should I, how should I be thinking about a service-based business compared mm-hmm. to this product, uh, something physical. Um, yeah. Very similar stuff. So is that with the services, you can certainly get out and test it relatively easy. Yeah. You know, everything from landscaping to, you know, web design to any, anything, you know, yeah. that, that's service driven that has relatively low overhead. Uh, you can start to try to test it out faster. So yeah. I think you do get to the validation part faster you, you may have in your research you may have validated that there's a need but in terms of a customer i mean the other things with the service that's interesting is that um i've seen entrepreneurs and i was certainly in this bucket too of being much more willing to give away a free service yeah <laughs> right yeah. to, to uh, make because sure that people just costing experience your time yeah. just costing your time yeah and so uh it makes a lot of sense to go ahead and give it away and mm-hmm. get feedback and generate your prospecting you know, with regard to your sales pipeline, mm-hmm. generate it that way. And so that is a big difference on the service side because you don't have that upfront expense yeah. that you can really lean into it and say it's your time. Maybe it's some equipment, you know, for yeah. us it was, you know, a few bottles of spirits and yeah. a chef, that sort of thing. Okay. And um, it, it, you just see what happens. You, yeah. you get the feedback and it, it helps you. And people are usually willing it was free, but, you know, they're willing to give you their feedback. Yeah. Um, we used to donate a lot of things to, you know, 
auctions and things like that. Okay. Which were effectively a pricing survey. Right when we start to started to get feedback on you know where the bids were, mm-hmm. that's started to hone in okay. actually on our original pricing. You know they this was the ask for the bid and uh-huh. they, you know they bid over. Like okay, we're starting to see that there's an okay. appetite for this. That's a good idea. Um, beyond you know what we were doing before. Yeah. Uh, but that that's just one example of yeah. the service side. You know the the, the entrepreneur's willingness to do that is usually a little bit more, and you can get to your MVP. You can do iterations mm-hmm. on shorter cycles, right? Which is different than if you're building something or if you, you know, if you are making some things. Hopefully, you didn't buy too much inventory, you know, to, yeah. you know, all these cups and napkins and, th- and plates, you know, yeah. before you <laughs> needed them. Yeah. But certainly on the food inventory, it should be pretty easy because you just kind of manage to small groups as you're doing your pop ups and that sort of thing. Get the feedback that can help you hone in on your menu. Right, and then mm-hmm. you can maybe do another couple pop ups, and then you decide: Do I want to do this in a food truck or a food trailer, or do I want to? Do I see enough yeah. interest to really start making this brick and mortar? Okay, <clears throat> well, and some of that's going to go back to that appetite for risk too, yeah. because if you can ease into it, it mm-hmm. like in this restaurant case, if you mm-hmm. you know have these pop ups and you set up it. The farmers mar- and all these little things, or just mm-hmm. like, all right, well, I've got the money. Let's just do it. Mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Let's mm-hmm. just go for it. And, yep. um, yeah, but advertising, you know, accounting, mm-hmm. lawn care, you know, um, uh, artisanal type. Mm-hmm. You know, well, that's not really a service, but certainly lawn care is something that we see a lot at the incubator and a lot of, um, you know, wellness types of businesses, yeah. coaching types of businesses. Those are things where, say, it's mostly your time. But you, but people, the, the other dimension to the service side is the thought leadership sort of expertise element. Yeah, that is the differentiator. You know, in some of those service businesses, and by virtue of giving it away, you're hoping that people automatically recognize your differentiation points because of the service they received and the experience that they received. Uh, especially if it's a premium priced type of offering. Yeah. If it's more transactional, then it's even, you know, more important that you somehow differentiate. I'm thinking of, you know, bookkeeping services and mm-hmm. things that are critical. Yeah. Whether people are going to, you know, they may not be, they may be thinking about it transactionally, but you, you're by virtue of doing the service for them, it evokes more of an experiential component for them. Yeah. Not always. But sometimes, I mean, yeah. I think of painting services, for example. You know, those are things where are there tons of painters? Absolutely, but is the responsiveness of the painter more important than the pricing? You know, that's yeah. that's where you know you start to on the service side start yeah. to be able to offer people some things. You know, now painting maybe not so much free, but maybe some you know examples and photos yeah. and things you've done. But yeah. either way, it's one of those kinds of services where. Price is definitely not the variable. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Let's see here. Um, Okay, so at what point do – okay, so I'm I'm ready to actually start now. Mm -hmm. Um, What type of – what type of like either 
actual team, the actual team members, maybe that that's going to be different. It might just be me. It might I might need people. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's not worry about that. But what types of professional relationships do I need? So do I? Um, obviously, the I, in most cases, it might be better to have more than less, but. Do do I need to have an accountant at the beginning? How much? How many things can I do myself? Mm-hmm. How many things should I not be doing myself? Um, yeah. And at what point do I actually need to? Can I test some of these things without actually becoming a business? Um, mm. And at what point should? Where in this process should I have actually filed my paperwork to to be legit now? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Let's let's start with that one okay. first. Um, it, it, the reason that you create the entity in the first place is to create a, a layer between you personally and yeah. customers or consumers in case of liability. Yeah. Right. So it's a it's, think of it as a protective shield with different degrees of protection mm-hmm. based on on your entity. But yeah. Certainly, a lot of people start with the LLC, which is fine for um, small businesses. In some instances. Investors may want to see at least an S corp to invest in because they have the perception in their right that there's more governance around that, right? So an LLC, you don't have to have a board meeting or anything, yeah. right? You just have to set it up. <laughs> yeah. However, if you have open your restaurant and somebody falls in there, and who are they going to sue? They're going to sue the entity, mm-hmm. right? And that's critical. Uh, and we won't get into the taxation piece, but fundamentally, yeah, liability protection is important for any legal structure. So it is important to get that. In place, right? Especially if you have a brick and mortar space, mm-hmm. I highly recommend doing that and yeah. not not um, solo practitioner. Um, I mean, um, sole proprietorship doesn't give you that protection. So, uh, yeah, in terms of when, as soon as you start thinking you're going to be in business, get that um, entity formed, get a tax ID number from the IRS, Take both of those things to the bank, and now you've got a bank account. Yeah. Very simple process. Yeah. Right. And so, and that also helps you keep things separated in terms of yeah, dollars had- coming into the business, and you know you have an account for that, and then yeah. you have an account for this. So that's just good fundamentals. Um, so, it timing wise, as soon as you start doing business, it'd be good yeah. to have that entity in well, place. And probably once you've decided this is actually going to, whenever I've decided this is okay. We're going to take this to, at some point, we're going to open. I don't know maybe how it's going to work yet, mm-hmm. but I've decided this is something viable and something I'm willing to to spend time on. Okay, let's let's do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so now I'm closer to opening or I'm also at that same point, but do what types of other services should I be considering? And, I mean, they're definitely all not necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but some are definitely going to be more beneficial than yeah. than others. But what are some of those things I should be considering right off the bat? Yeah, here again, it depends on the industry. But certainly, yeah. if it's something highly regulated, or if you're you know you're a component part, is patentable or needs to be, certainly you need to talk with a lawyer about that. Okay, because that's not a skill set that <laughs> most of us <laughs> yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, and I practiced for years and don't have that skill set. Yeah, you know, in terms of. Filing and and um, going through all the iterations, right? Of that filing requires a professional. So that's on one extreme. On the other, if your place, you know, just the lease for if you're leasing a place, you know, that's brick and mortar. It helps to have a lawyer look at that. You don't have to have have them on staff, obviously, but yeah. that's something that needs to be reviewed. And um, you know, understanding all your 
licensing and permitting, you know, that, that may not cost you anything because you could just talk with the city about mm-hmm. it and they should be able to tell you that for free. Uh, but, you know, there's others that, um, you know, are starting a nonprofit, for example, still a great service or a product, but you got to get your 501c3 formed. Mm-hmm. Got to have a lawyer for that who can help shepherd through that process. So there, there's some things, some professional services that, that are going to be driven by the specific industry. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're if you're starting a landscaping service, you know, it's not a whole lot. You get your equipment and you get your LLC and, yeah. you know, I, lawyers, probably not. Accounting, you know, not until you're making some money. Yeah. You know, you can get Maybe insurance. QuickBooks insurance for sure. Yeah. Uh, but that requires a one-time professional. And once you pay that, that's just an mm-hmm. ongoing fee. Uh, so, yeah, it really does depend. But okay. I'd say formation, definitely in terms of, um, intellectual property, got to have the lawyers. Uh, setting up your books and QuickBooks, pretty easy at first. Yeah. But certainly as, as things start coming in and you're not really focused on the bookkeeping, and yeah. it would help to have somebody and also, space around that. It probably depends on the amount of funds that you've got at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but with that, you know, if I've got um, – it goes back to the research. I might have a, a ton of money for to start mm-hmm. – um, and maybe I could hire or, or could have an accountant or could have a bookkeeper, but if that money might be better spent on a website or mm-hmm. on advertising or yeah. on um, an extra hand, mm-hmm. like so, so valuing, um, you know, what what are each of these things going to actually do? Do either of these do any of these things? actually increase the value of my product. Um, I mean, mine, at the beginning, I always wanted new gear. Mm -hmm. And for a while, like, sometimes I would get it, and then I heard something that was like, okay, does, is the consumer gonna, is my customer gonna notice that my camera has an extra three megapixels? Mm -hmm. No. No, They They have no idea. It's great. It's so Mm -hmm. fun to get new gear. Mm -hmm. But until it's a, it's an upgrade that, until either my gear is a hindrance or if this is going to add a new capability, mm-hmm. that kind of shut down, like that That reframed how I was thinking about because I, I just love gear. Mm-hmm. So it's so easy for me to buy it. But yeah. when it's for a business, it's, it's not for me anymore. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that, but thinking through things in, in that way, which is, you know, does this actually make my business better? Mm-hmm. Not just to me, you know, yeah. is this new lawnmower, does that matter? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe if it's going to make me uh, like if it's going to cut my time at each house mm-hmm. in half, yeah, maybe that's worth it. Yeah. Um, but but all the, it's, it's all all things to to kind of look at there, and it, it depends on each situation is going to be a little bit different. But if you can if you can create those uh, like values for um, you know what it, what are each of these professionals going to provide yeah. me, and, and how valuable is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. <clears throat> um, the other part of what you asked was around connect connections. So those are sort of the professional services mm-hmm. pieces. Uh, but connections are critical in terms of how you're building your sales pipeline. Right? And so who, who, once you know who the customers are, people who are actually paying, the question becomes how you're going to access them, and you may have connections that can drive people to you. Right? In, in the simplest way, you know, it's... Let's take our component part that we're making for whatever. 
if it's being sold into a large industry, uh, if you were able to connect with someone who was a former buyer, you know, in that industry, mm-hmm. right? And you get you start to pick their brain and you start to say, oh, okay, I get I get the dynamics of how they're making that purchase decision. That is the kind of person that might be on your advisory board, or or they might be someone that connects you with future customers because they, you know, a lot of retired people are great resources, right? Especially in that B two B world, uh-huh. uh, you know, on the consumer side, same deal. Except in terms of, um, you know, the knowing the customer part of it is important in our, in terms of. Um, people that are in the space, right? They may have been other investors that invested in restaurants, right? And you want to be able to pick their brain and they, they're invested in another place. Yes, you may be com- competition in the sense you're in the industry, but it's not really competition in yeah. the the genre of food. And so, yeah, you want to pick their brains and see what they know. You know, it could be as basic as, you know what, we use this vendor for our uh, plates, and we save thirty percent. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's important. Yeah, yeah. Right? There's there's yeah. sort of these operational benefits on the one hand of connectivity with the right people, but there's also the um, strategic benefits, right? In terms of them helping you build out your sales pipeline because of who's they who they've connected you with. The the number of the, this is why advisory boards are you know can be useful. Yeah. Because there's there are people that are connected in different ways. Right? Some of them might connect you directly with a customer, which helps with your sort of external strategies, but the others may help you with, you know, being a more efficient business because they've been in your shoes before and they're going to help you sort of yeah. um, focus on the business in a different way. Right. And so that part of it, when you start to think about small businesses, any business of any size, but certainly small businesses, yeah. This is where that sort of surrounding yourself with people within your space that have different roles, some of which are complementary for your internal operations and some are complementary for your external uh, sales initiatives. So in, these are the kinds of people that you bump into at chamber meetings yeah. or uh, expos or you name it. This is why being on your game kind of as a, Small business owner, yeah, to sense when somebody's potentially um, a resource, right? Not to take advantage of it, but yeah. to, to have them as a resource that might be mutually beneficial. Yeah. Okay. Um, what are what are some of the uh, some of the? I mean, obviously, at Ignite, like you've got businesses Mm -hmm. rolling through there all the time you've Mm -hmm. got a a ton of people coming through so what are some of the 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 issues or things that are overlooked what are some of the what are some of those things that are easily fixable but also overlooked frequently um yeah what does anything anything come to mind there uh well certainly on the market research side it's surprising you know that that's um uh, it, well, actually, it's not that surprising because yeah. most people aren't uh, don't have formal business training coming mm-hmm. through, and so um, the learning part is critical. And and many have a skill set that's clear. I mean, it's a, they're talented within with a skill, yeah, that hasn't been monetized, right? And so monetization requires all the things we just went through, yeah. Uh, but it also requires this sort of learning your market, some of which businesses have been doing 
unconsciously, yeah. but not really thinking about what they were hearing, you know, in terms of shaping it into a plan, mm-hmm. into a plan. So I think having the plan, that's, I think, important. I mean, yeah. I think that's one thing where in terms of, and that's why people come to us, right, yeah. to, to get the plan. So I think the word is getting out there, but I think as the more entrepreneurs that come through start to realize that that's a key first step. Yeah. Um, the uh, product side of it, like I talked about earlier, you know, that people were thinking about how am I going to market mm-hmm. and going straight to this place of promotions and social media and all these things, which are important. Yeah. Uh, the, the product part of it, what am I really selling? Right. And this is the the, the old adage around, Features versus benefits. You know, I, I have this great idea for a feature, but is it really the right one? Is it yeah. really going to drive the benefits that are going to make someone buy your product or service versus someone else's? Yeah. And that one also is a, you know, I wouldn't say oversight, but it's a space where I think people need to spend a lot more time just focusing on what the actual service or product is. Yeah. In reaction to what they're learning about their market already. Okay. Um, starting an entity, you know, surprisingly, you know, that's something that a lot of people overlook and like, oh, I can do that later. But, you know, it's can certainly save a lot of headaches, yeah. a lot of liabilities down the well, road. Well, a lot of this stuff feels like it's all stuff that you could just put off. Mm-hmm. Like we like we said earlier, like mm-hmm. you could just put it off, but it makes every, it's going to slow the um it's going to just slow your growth. Yeah. Eventually, you're going to need to do these things. Or maybe you don't, but if you can get them done early, you're going to have a much clearer vision. I mean, how do you like? How do you proceed if you don't actually know where you're going or how you're going to get there? Yeah. You can just figure it out. Maybe you end up in the right place. Yeah. But, but maybe you don't. Um, yeah. I mean, the analogy I use certainly at Ignite and also with my students is around the coaches that sit in the skybox and call plays mm-hmm. versus the ones that are on the field. And those are two entirely different perspectives. And the up in the skybox is a perspective where you can see all the moving parts, uh-huh. but they also can't see some of the nuances of. Yeah, what, where were their hands placed and what was the angle uh-huh. of their hips and did they really leave with their helmet? You know, those are the kind of things that you do see on the field. Yeah. And obviously, I'm talking football yeah, now, yeah, but, but yeah. any sport, field yeah. sport, where you're looking down on it gives you a perspective up high. And that really is the basis of this outside-in thinking that mm-hmm. we started this conversation with about the importance of the research is effectively your skybox view. Mm-hmm. And as long as you can keep that view, that, that's the hard part of keeping that view and being in the trenches at yeah. the same time yeah. when you're one person. Yeah. You know, and, the, and that's why the connectivity is so yeah. important because they're going to help get you your your proxy for your skybox yeah. is those people that you have around you. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So we are at a little over an hour, mm-hmm. which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um are there so we we've gotten all the way up to actually starting? Is there anything that we we haven't covered before we've we've actually opened our doors that we need to be considering? Um, there obviously there's a ton of details that are maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more specific, but anything that we haven't covered up to this point? And then, I think we're uh, we covered the big buckets. There. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So then, what I think might be good is at a different time, kind of work through how do we continue to um, 
what do we need to be thinking about as we're open, but you know, what do we do to make sure that we're continuing to progress? But mm-hmm. um, I feel like that could be its own hour and a half. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we'll we'll kind of split them as we're about to open yeah. or we've opened, and now uh, we'll do an, we'll do another one at some other point. But yeah. um, anything anything else to add? Uh, that we that we haven't covered that you think is important to to be considering or anything like that. I think you know in terms of for those that are listening that do just have the idea, the uh, it's important to know yourself in the beginning. Yes, yeah, and uh, we kind of touched on that, but it, you know this is not for everyone. When I say this, running the business isn't for everyone. Yeah, however, Despite, right now it's such a the like entrepreneurial business, a business owner thing. It's just so, like, cool. Yeah. But it isn't for like. You could try. It's just Ooh. not for everyone. Like, there's, yeah. there's all like I. We actually didn't come back to the emotional side, but mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of those things that aren't. They're definitely not for everyone. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. But, but what is clear though is that some people have some really great skill sets. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're, you know, artisan in nature, they do one thing really well. It's just a matter of making sure they're complementing themselves, mm-hmm. right? The self-awareness part of it is important just because you, you only have yourself to look in the mirror at, especially when it's your own. Yeah. And you're trying to figure out, well, why is this not working? Why is this not working? If that's the case, it may be that there just needs to be another perspective yeah. around you. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you just have to be really self-aware as best you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're getting started and yeah and and in those cases it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't it can't work yeah but maybe you should be looking at who can who can you add you know it's not just you now who can you add that that is that that piece that you don't have Mm -hmm. um maybe i just want to create i just want to make these dope tables mm-hmm. but i don't care about the business i don't want to do the business right. side okay who can be that partner because mm-hmm. i really want to make these tables and yeah. i really want to do this forever yeah okay um so yeah you don't have to do it alone and there mm-hmm. are some some things for that but being aware of what are you actually capable of and good at and you know obviously you can grow into some things but we've all kind of got got things that we're naturally going to not want to do and mm-hmm. things that we're naturally going to want to do. So just yep. knowing yourself in those, in those cases. Yep. Um, okay. Um, where um, I will have all of your links. I'll put your LinkedIn down in the bio. I'll put ignites um, ignites uh, the website down there. Mm-hmm. I'll put any um, your business, I'll put that down on the mm-hmm. bottom. Anything else, anywhere else for the for the humans of the world to find no, you? I think that works, okay. yeah. Um, all right, that was a good one. Um, all right. Thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to share this with all of your aspiring uh, business owner friends. Um, like it, review it, do all those things. Thanks for coming on. Uh, this was a good one, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you're consuming this. I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business owners. 